Welcome to another episode of Talking Insights. With uh, this with this episode, we have Paul Nito. Um, welcome. So uh, we're, we're happy to hear you, uh, to have you here. Uh, how are you doing? Very good, very good. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Oh, excellent. So uh, not not freezing too much in in Toronto area. <laughs> no, our our winters are mild, so it's not so bad. Oh, that's okay. That's all right. Um, so uh, Paul, um, you're a an experienced market researcher, um, but uh, for those that don't know, that haven't met you, haven't had the pleasure, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Sure. Um, I started in market research through through tech in the early days of uh, market research before survey engines even really existed. I went to a little startup, and uh, you know we primarily built our tech. We ended up getting. Um, acquired by the Comscore and uh, you know that led you know set off a, a series of experiences uh, in different uh, you know companies around data collection behavioral data I've been a, a founder of uh, two companies now um, one was uh, um, funded out of uh, Silicon Valley uh, it was the early days of using machine learning for research and uh, understanding ad targeting and the latest is here with um, uh, with measure protocol. I've also had a couple stints at um, you know Cantar and uh, you know and a few others as well. So been on every aspect of the industry: buyer, seller, technology, uh, you name it. Uh, becoming a serial entrepreneur. <laughs> we'll be Ryan. seeing more of you. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, now you're a measure protocol. Can you uh, now tell us what what it is? You know what, what's measures uh, focus? Yeah, so we're a consumer intelligence data company, and we work with uh, brands and agencies. Um, we primarily provide behavioral data, and it's really to help build confidence, give them ammunition for their uh, data driven decision making. Um, so our primary focus is around uh, holistic digital behavior. So we have uh, communities of individuals that have uh, our MSR app, and they regularly complete various um, behavioral data tasks. Um, and in turn, we provide them with rewards. And so this can be stuff like Amazon purchase history, it could be what they watch on Netflix, what apps they use. Um, but the result is what we believe is like the cleanest, most robust probably complete behavioral data set, because really at the core of what we do, uh, the atomic unit is the individual. So we collect data around all the various uh, digital, you know, uh, touch points of an individual's. Um, so we can understand not only what do they do on, say, TikTok, searches they do on, um, like YouTube, what purchases they make, and it's really about that holistic picture of an individual. And this is primarily done with our patented technology called, called Retro. Um, and a lot of the history is around, um, you know, transparency, uh, understanding uh, individuals, you know, rights for privacy and fair compensation. At the very end, you know, people who participate in research and data collection, they just want a good experience. So those things are very kind of core to what we do. And it ends up being part of the magic in the mix of you know being able to do interesting things and having uh, individuals have a, a good 
experience and get compensate, compensated properly. That's that sounds very fair. And uh, actually, well, well, I mean, you know, SMA, it's uh, something one of our core principles, really. Um, so, so with that, like uh, you're speaking quite holistically about the, the individual, but if we zoom out even more, how would you say? the uh, consumer data landscape uh, has been evolving. So in regards to like, uh, what role does the first party, zero party and like permission data play in understanding consumer behavior? So what would you say on that? Yeah, look, we're definitely moving towards uh, an era where data is all permissioned. Uh, the level of transparency and permission and privacy is gonna be very different than it has been in the past. And, you know, we've been hearing about things like zero party for a few years now, but there are some critical things that are happening and they're changing the industry. One is you have players like Apple who are making big bets on privacy. So metering on iOS is effectively dead. It's you know effectively gone. Um, and so it really creates uh, a challenge. There's a black hole around data that's iOS based. Now, you know, to be transparent, that's probably one of our strengths is around iOS data and a lot of our activities around that. You also see Google and others deprecating the cookie. There's this, you know, death of the cookie and what's it going to do for, you know, many, uh, you know, many industries. And we see legislation that's giving power back to consumers with these, you know, new, you know, private privacy laws. Look, and for years, we have been ticking off consumers with, you know, poor experiences, you know, to the point that, you know, you often hear about trust in the industry and the challenges around that and the efforts that we do. So this new world is really about data collection that is permissioned and these new rules of transparency and trust are required. Because in general, individuals are happy to share data, but they just need to have some sense of trust and they just want to know, what are you doing with it? You know, what's going to happen? You know, what do we have to worry about? You know, what's our, the, the level of, of confidence? Um, and this rise of zero party data, which is really about consumers choosing to share data, though I believe we have to go one step further. So choosing to share data, but also having ownership over their data. So even if they share it, they still actually own it. We effectively have rights to use their data. And each time that the data is used, they should be compensated for it. So I think that's critical into understanding zero party data is they choose, they own it, and they're compensated every time it's, um, you know, it's used. So additionally, in today's environment, every piece of data that you collect is also a liability. And we need to be very purposeful of any data we collect and why, and not just collect it just because we, you know, you know, we can. Um, so the level of responsibility, um, you know, has you know dramatically, dramatically changed. So um, I think that our industry plus many others are into some big changes over the next number of years. Where are we going to get to? Is a place where we have much better data and access to actually more data. Oh, excellent. So. Speaking of data and uh, obviously measure protocols um, success. So you recently released a, a new report. Um, so uh, it's, you called it App Life Report and uh, you're highlighting some of the data measure pro uh, protocols able to provide. But can you, uh, for the audience, can you 
provide a bit of an overview of what's included in the report and uh, why would it be significant uh, today? Yes. So, you know, one of the challenges of being a, a data company is, you know, how do you illustrate, you know, the data that you have or, you know, how do you, you know, talk and have conversations about interesting things? So one of our initiatives is this AppLife report, which we um, take select windows of, of time uh, and build some data sets and just share some stuff that we find, you know, find interesting. So we're, you know, it gets published right at this point, you know, twice a year. And we focus on a few key areas. You know, we're very keen around um, uh, engagement. So often, you know, you'll hear a certain app has had a billion downloads. Well, what that's, does that mean or why does it matter or... Um, so we look at uh, app engagement through the lens of actually using the app. If you have it on your phone, it doesn't really matter. Um, you know, we do see that about four, you know, people use about 40 different apps on a weekly, weekly basis. So we want to know how much time they're actually using it. Um, how many times, you know, certain apps is the first one to be used when they pick up their phone. I think that's a strong indicator of engagement. Um, and as well as notifications and stuff. So we're also able to look at usage across, you know, mobile streaming uh, services, you know, uh, it, particularly with a lot of these new ad-supported ones that are coming on board. Uh, time spent with gaming and search trends across, you know, not only Google, but YouTube and uh, TikTok. Some really interesting stuff that's, you know, happening there. And we usually, you know, focus a little bit on some of the, um, mobile shopping, mobile shopping trends and different types of apps and services that we're using because these are, you know, they just appear out of nowhere sometimes and they quickly, you know, start challenging some of the, some of the big players. Yeah, that was really interesting how you made a connection between you know, just, uh, like the app usage and the actual shopping behavior. I never really considered to see it in, in that way, but it actually brought a lot of, um, a lot of light in the situation now, especially with the um, with the shopping sprees that are happening soon to be, and like now that we're doing this in the late November. But um, getting more into the detail of it, um, what would you say, uh, like the key insights that you um, you'd like to share from the from the report? Yeah, so some of the things that we see is you know there's a staple apps that tend to be the the you know the big players. Like you got the YouTubes, the Instagrams, and even still, you know, you know, Facebook, where they have overall popularity and uh, and usage. But we do see apps such as you know TikTok. There's so much discussion around how it's quickly risen, how it's starting to meet the levels and increasing the levels of engagement um, uh, across you know all you know all generations. So you know we see some you know, Gen Z using for about 16 hours a week. Um, the closest is probably a YouTube, which is between like, you know, five and, and six hours. So it's immensely, um, you know, you're starting to dominate and, you know, it's redefining how we think, um, you know, engagement itself. But for some of the younger audiences, we do continually start seeing, you know, some of these messaging apps, you know, their world is, uh, you know, more about messaging and connecting and communicating. So the Snapchats, um, you know, are, you know, definitely, you know, dominating even in the number of, you know, notifications that they get. Um, additionally, we see this um, around the, the realm of gaming, 
is the gender divide that, you know, the traditional gamer is not, uh, you know, male 18 to 24. We see, you know, even though there's a higher incidence of, you know, men gaming, we see the amount of time that's spent gaming uh, is really uh, the same across, uh, you know, across the two of them. Um, and when it comes to, you know, things like shopping, um, a lot of these new apps are becoming quite popular with these, um, you know, younger generations, um, even starting to outdo like the Walmarts and, you know, competing with the Amazons and such. Well, it's, uh, it was quite interesting to, to actually see that uh, female gamers are really coming up and it's um, coming from when I was a, a youngling playing, uh, locking myself in the room, it was mainly with the guys, but uh, trying to get uh, my female friends to, to kind of join in and be interested. And obviously, I think Call of Duty is incredibly popular. It's, yes. it's amazing. It's, uh, I mean, it's <laughs> uh, a game for all. And even when we think of like streaming services, one of the you know, key competitors for streaming service is actually gaming. If you look at where people are spending big bulks amount of time, they're either like, you know, binge watching something or they're playing some kind of game. So while the Hulu's, Netflix's and stuff are kind of battling it out, often their true competitor is, you know, when they're not streaming, they're either on Twitch or playing some kind of mobile game or, um, you know, so some console or PC based game. Absolutely. And uh, not to digress a little bit further, but it's um, with the Xbox um, uh, Game Pass, I think, which is now essentially a live streaming service, service for games. It's uh, an incredible, um, um, incredible achievement and really impressive step that uh, Microsoft took. But um, going back into the insight aspect, <laughs> before I um, get too many flashbacks of being a fun uh, little kid, it's... Um, can you discuss the the methodology that you used in creating this um, for our um, methodology fans out there with us? Um, the easiest way to des describe it um, is we take uh, a show me, don't tell me approach. So, you know, if we were to ask you, well, what did you spend on Amazon last month? Could you actually tell me? Probably be pretty difficult. Nevertheless, you know, you know, what did you watch on, you know, YouTube or something like that? So what we'll ask them and, you know, part of our technology is this um, uh, screen permission screen detection. Uh, where we'll ask somebody, okay, open up your Amazon app, go to your hist history and scroll through it. And part of our technology will um, detect the content. It'll uh, summarize it and then present to the user this is data that we've collected. Are you okay sharing it with us under these terms and for these amount? If they say yes, then we get it. And the systems in the background will aggregate and collate all this, all this data. So we're being, you know, there's no passive metering happening here. We're being very upfront of what we're looking for. This is how you access it. Uh, and this is what you're, you're sharing with this. So that's one part of the technology. We can get them to do all kinds of different behavioral tasks share this, upload this, you know, it's, so instead of doing, you know, somebody may get, you know, 20 cents for a 20 minute survey, we can pay up to $1.50, say for a two minute task. Now, the reality is the value of the data that they're sharing is so much higher. So we're able to compensate them that, uh, you know, that, you know, much better. 
Um, so it's, it's a simple in concept, um, but extremely difficult at scale. Um, but you know, we, we love trying to, uh, uh, tackle difficult, uh, difficult problems. Oh, so there's, um, uh, yeah, there's, there's people getting paid to scroll through TikTok and, uh, um, which is impressive. It's, uh, it's a, a new career move that I haven't considered yet, but, uh, we'll, we'll see how the inflation hits. Um, so. Uh, speaking of TikTok, um, there's obviously you mentioned a lot of the interesting findings there. Um, what were the main findings like about TikTok and the inf its influence, its popularity, but really how it's uh, impacting the different the uh, generations? So you've got the Gen X, Y, and the, the millennial split. I noticed. Yeah. So one wild bit is um, Gen Z are you know almost about 5,400 videos that they're consuming on a monthly basis versus millennials, it's about 1,600. So the, the sheer amount of, of content that they're consuming is, you know, is, is immense. Um, you know, some will say that, um, you know, these younger generations are, you know, distracted or they don't pay attention and such. I believe it's something different. I think they're developed in such a sense that they're extremely efficient at filtering content. They can go through a lot of content and they can filter and quickly assess if something is of interest, you know, of interest to them. Um, so it's, you know, no surprise TikTok is kind of redefining some of the rules across, you know, all generations. You know, they're spending, you know, Gen Z spending 16 hours a week. Um, Gen X is only slightly more on Facebook than TikTok, but that's soon to change. And additionally, we're starting to see TikTok becoming uh, a search destination. You know, uh, when we look at some of the search analysis, things like how to are at the top. Um, and, you know, uh, when we look at the metrics, you know, the number of videos that they you know, save and the searches that he do um, is, uh, you know, is, is, you know, is through the roof. You know, the one that does stand out is when it comes to watching live, it's more of a millennials thing than it is um, uh, a, a younger generation. So, um, again, you know, the search is probably, I think, one of the biggest things that's, uh, you know, changing the, you know, how people use this, this platform. So, Speaking of uh, generations now going more into the shopping behavior, um, it, do you see that there is um, uh, a generational split in the way that um, people approach shopping, especially on their devices? And um, if so, is there any advice on, uh, for, for example, that brands can use uh, for the strategies and really get into nitty gritty and get the audience that they are really looking, looking for? Yeah, what we do see is some of the older older generations, uh, you know, Gen X is uh, more likely to be using things like some of the traditional ones like Walmart, Target, and um, uh, and eBay. Amazon's just used by everybody. Um, but when you look at the younger generations, you really start seeing, you know, Timu kind of came out of nowhere, and it's uh, particularly in the U.S. it's being used in immense amount. Um, and some of the other ones 